Thank you so much. Uh, and I do look forward to being able to share today. Uh, I always consider this, uh, I, I got in here yesterday afternoon kind of being alone, and I got in here this morning trying to be alone and just sat up there in the cheap seats and just looked around and just began to pray that God would just be able to, to, to use me today to maybe meet a need that some of you may have. And I do believe that uh, a message about hope is a timely message. Uh, we live in a world today of hopelessness. And you may say, well, why, why do you say that? And I, I'm just one of a number of pastors here. But I know that just in the last two months alone, just people that have come to me asking for prayer, uh, just sharing some of the concerns that they had, uh, just, uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes you want to fix things. I'm a fixer. I want to fix things. But most of the time, I'm just, I just pray. And uh, I thought of about a father who came and asked for prayer uh, regarding his adult daughter who was just put into jail. And he was having to go out of state to try to minister to her. Uh, a father and mother expressing a loss of what to do with an adult child with an addiction in issue. And then they had these gut-wrenching decisions on how do, I, how do we respond? And at the same time, take care of our grandchildren who are innocent victims in this. And just praying through that with them. And a lady calling me just last week about her 50-year-old sister that attends one of our ministries here. And the family was just so concerned and really devastated because the fact that she had uh, kind of slipped back into a uh, crack cocaine addiction. And then another church member seeking counsel and prayer for physical, emotional, and deep financial issues. And then I went on vacation about uh, two and a half weeks ago. And first day of vacation, I, I get a lot of the emails that come through our website, people just requesting prayer or uh, uh, needing information, and then I will kind of direct them to appropriate people. And I had this email come in from a church member here. And, uh, and as I read this email, it just confirmed to me that I, I just need, God is leading me to just bring a message about hope today. And here was this lady's prayer request. She says, my prayer request is for things to get better between my husband and I. Please pray for the suffering of not being able to pay bills on time, to stop our house from falling apart. We don't even have air conditioning. We lost part of our roof during that hurricane last year, and we have, uh, and we have very little furniture. We can't afford anything, and our bills are always late. My marriage is not in good standing. In fact, I told my husband he can leave if he wants. It's just gotten to the point that I don't care about anything anymore. I've stopped praying because every time I did pray, things always seemed to get worse. Why did God put us together? No matter how hard we try, we can't save a dime. Still are late paying bills and it's so hot in our house. I stay sick all the time. I stay angry. I don't even know if God will let me into heaven or not when I die. All I seem to do is wrong. I can't do nothing right. My husband and I can only fight. We need prayers, please. Thanks. And I, I, I got that email, first day of vacation, and I thought that I had forwarded it 
to the appropriate pastor. And then once I got back from vacation, I realized I made a mistake and that email wasn't forwarded. So there had been no response. And I, I had been praying for this lady. And then so I reached out by phone a number of times but couldn't make contact with her. So I emailed her and just let her know that I know that she wasn't requesting anything except prayer and that I had been praying for her. And I did get a response to just say, thank you. I just, I just need prayers in my life right now. But, you know, you, you hear something like that as a person, not just a pastor, and you think, in, in my own flesh, I look at a situation like that, and, and, and my flesh say, says, that's, that's hopeless, you know? I mean, where do you even begin? You can't just throw money at something like that. Uh, but then spiritually, I know better. Spiritually, I know that there is hope for believers. No matter the situation that you're in, there is hope, but it's so easy to lose hope. And I think it's because we have a misunderstanding of what hope is. First of all, let me say this. We live in a fallen world. It's broken. God created it perfect. We messed it up. Sin entered into the world, and we live in a fallen world. Even Jesus said in John chapter 16, I think, verse 33, he says, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be uh, encouraged or take heart. I've overcome the world. So Jesus knows that this world is going to be filled with trials, tribulations, problems, because for us that are believers here today, this ain't home, okay? This isn't home. We have a home being prepared for us right now. And so that's, that's what I want to talk about today is that there is hope, and maybe hope in the immediate future, but there's inevitable hope for us. So we have to get an understanding of what this word hope is all about because today in our culture, it's more kind of a wimpy kind of a word. It's like wishful thinking, like I hope the Rays win the next time they play ball. I don't know when that is. Uh, uh, and uh, sorry, I'm not a big baseball fan. Or I hope that it doesn't rain today because we're planning a cookout. Or if you're a student in here and, it's, and, you're in, and you find yourself in school next year, maybe even this summer, and you're saying, oh, I hope I pass this test. And it's kind of wishful thinking. It's optimism. And there's nothing wrong with optimism. I'm an optimistic person. I'm that kind of a guy that everything's going to work out. Now, I'm an optimistic person, but hope, biblical hope, the hope that we have as believers is not optimism, okay? That's not optimism. You've heard it say that an optimist will look at a glass and he'll see it half full. A pessimist will look at a glass and he'll see that glass half empty. But hope sees that glass firmly in the hand of God. And if I, I'm just gonna give you a, a definition for hope today, the hope that we as believers have. And it's four words, and I want you to remember this. God is in control. God is in control. And so you have hope. And it's not wishful thinking. It's not that wimpy kind of a hope. It's a strong, confident hope. It's not I hope so. 
It's I hope so I can have confidence. I hope so I don't have to be afraid. I hope so I can handle whatever's before me. Uh, and many believers uh, live in hopelessness. And we don't need to. We have a hope within us. And you're going to see that this morning. Uh, it's not wishful thinking. It's a strong, confident hope that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who he is and what he came to do. So this is what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, it's a little bit of a long intro, but I want to let you know where I'm going. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is just to let you know five things that hope can do in your life. Real quickly, I'm just going to go through five things that hope, biblical hope, can do in your life. Then I'm going to show you a picture of that in someone else's life. Just a testimony of what hope was able to do and is doing in the life of someone. And then I'm going to close by going through four points right out of Scripture. God's building blocks, his process, his steps to have this kind of hope. And then I'm going to close the service off with just an opportunity for you to respond. You may just want to pray. You may want to come and say, you know what? Uh, I, I need this hope in my life. Because as I'm talking about hope, you're going to see in scriptures that I'll be sharing that this hope is a believer's hope. If you're a seeker here this morning or a skeptic this morning, you can't have this hope in your life. Your hope is going to be wishful thinking. But for a believer, it's a secure, confident hope that we have because we have Christ within us. And so you're going to see that. So let's just start off the bat by what can hope do for me? What can hope do for me? The first thing that this type of hope can do for you is that it can get you started. It can be that thing with inside of you, that power with inside of you to start the day. You know, what is that energy that motivates you? What causes you to get out of bed in the morning? You know, some people get out of bed and they're looking at hopelessness. As believers, we can start our day knowing that our day is secure and in the hand of, of God because he's in control. I love that verse in Isaiah chapter uh, 40, verse 31. And about that fourth word in there is the word wait, which is the Hebrew word kavah. And that word means hope or look to or expect. So it's the same word. And it says this in Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait upon the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, that hope allows us to be able to fuel the fire within us, to give us that passion, that power, to live the, that day, that week, that year before us. It gets us started or restarted. The second thing that hope can do in your life, it can help you live with fill in the blank. Whatever that problem is, that issue is in your life, that struggle, that storm, that however you want to say it, hope allows you to live with that. 
Uh, so it's that burden that you have in your life right now. With hope, you can make it through. And I'm not talking again about wishful thinking here. The hope which God provides enables us to handle the incredible burdens that life brings our way. And uh, I'm going to read a lot of verses this morning just to to make these points. And the Apostle Paul, I'm going to share so many from him, but he just shares in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 8 through 10, just how God was there in his burdens. Let me just read it. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul was facing severe burdens in his life, pressures that we can't even imagine. And he's saying, hey, I'm putting my hope and my trust in the Lord. So you can live with whatever that burden is, whatever that issue is in your life. Hope allows you to live with that. Number three, you can go on. You can go on. Not only can you endure, but you can go on. There's a story of a, uh, this happened in the, the, the early 50s. Back years ago, I can remember when there was three channels on TV, and it was big news when someone would swim the English Channel. Wait, I'm talking to the wrong crowd. Does anybody remember people swimming the English Channel? Okay, it used to be newsworthy. All right, but this, there was a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. She was an American. She lived in uh, California, but she swam it twice. But then she wanted to set out to swim from Catalina Island, right off the coast of California, to the California coast. It was a 26-mile swim. And so she began that swim with a little flotilla of boats beside her in case she needed to be rescued or to keep sharks at bay. And she began this journey, and about three-quarters of the way into this swim, this dense fog came in, like it can on the California coastline. And it obscured her vision and everyone else's vision. And after about 15 hours, she told her mother, who was in another boat, she says, I don't think that I can complete this. She swam for another hour and finally gave up, not realizing she was less than a mile from the coast. Two months later, after regaining her strength, she did it again. Same thing happens. Fog comes in. But this time, she said afterwards, because she completed it, she went to the coastline. She said she had this mental image of the California coastline in her mind, and that allowed her to swim through the fog and make it to the coastline. Well, you know what? In this world, we're just swimming, and these problems arise, circumstances come into your life, and you may feel like you're in a fog, but that coastline is heaven. You know, that's where our ultimate destination is. And that can give us hope when we're in the midst of a fog. But again, Paul just illustrates this so wonderfully in Philippians chapter 
3, verses 13 to 14, he says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, God's promises give us hope. And what is hope? That God is in control. Uh, His promises are true and immovable just like that California coastline. They could be counted on. You have a destination that is secure. and, and, And we can visualize it not only in our minds but in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That, and that can help us focus, especially when we're in times of trouble, times of problems. The fourth thing that hope can do is that it can slow you down. Do you ever feel like you're just in this culture that we live in, you're always on go? You know, we live in a culture right now that just doesn't know how to shut down. You know, we have these phones. You, don't, you take the office home with you. We're just in a hurry. Uh, life gets so out of balance and hurried. Too much becomes too important. Without hope, we're always in a hurry. We often don't know where we're headed, but we're in a hurry to get there. And that's just the way our culture is. And do you realize that when you are lost, Uh, nature just makes you move faster. When you're lost, you just move faster. I can remember, I'm an outdoorsman, and I I like to be outdoors. Three times I've been lost in the woods. Really, really good. And I remember two times that, and I was telling my wife about it last night. She said, stop, I don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, Because, uh, you know, it was like almost dark. And I was waiting too long to get back to my truck or to meet up with a person. And a storm came in. And I said, I better hurry and get back. And the next thing I know, I was hurrying in the wrong direction. And I was lost for two hours in the dark in a rainstorm, you know. Uh, because we, we begin to hurry, make wrong decisions when we're lost. We never slow down. And it was before the phone, by the way, so, you know, this, I, I couldn't find my way out. But uh, uh, we are living in a culture in desperate need of rest. True hope allows us to know our destination, have confidence in the future. It allows me to rest in that knowledge. Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30, these are Jesus' words, and they're so comforting. Come to me, all you who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hope will allow us to slow down, to rest in him. And then the last thing hope can do, the last point five here, is that you can say no. What do you mean by that? Well, Hope gives you that ability to say no to sin. Because the reverse is true. Uh, If you don't have hope, there's nothing left for you. And what's the need for integrity? Why be moral? Why have standards? Your life could just be like a picture of this t-shirt I saw 
a man wearing, my wife and I took a walk on the beach Tuesday morning, and this man was walking the opposite way, and I caught his T-shirt, and it said, in the memory of, and then there was some more wording, and I was, took a good look. I'm wondering who it's in the memory of, and what he says is, in the memory of when I cared. That's hopelessness. In the memory of when I cared. And if you live life like that, why do you even need integrity? You know, eat, drink, and be merry. But we have this hope of Jesus Christ in our life. And it allows us to say no. 1 John 3.3 says this, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So hope is the foundation for genuine integrity in our lives. So real quickly, those five points, what can hope do for you? It can get you started. It can empower you to live with whatever that burden is. It gives you the power to keep going. It gives you the direction and the balance in your life to slow down. And it's foundational for integrity in your life. That's what biblical hope can do for you. But, you know, you can write these points down and tuck them away. But I want to give you something that you can, you can hold on to today. I just want you to see a, a, just a, a, a testimony of what hope did in the life of someone. Uh, a week ago this past Thursday, we, uh, people had gotten phone calls in the office from someone uh, that we had been praying for. And as we began to share that news, there was just a wave of emotion that swept through our office and I know in other places around also. And uh, this is what hope can do for you. And this is just a, a five-minute clip, a testimony of about a half-an-hour story. But uh, I just want you to see what hope can do in someone's life. We are teachers here at Indian Rocks Christian. We've been members of the church and teaching here for 13 years now. My wife teaches high school Spanish and I teach um, high school Bible and weight training. I've been a football coach here for 13 years. Um, in October of 2017, I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, it's a type of cancer in the blood and it really hit us hard when we got that news and I had to step down from coaching football and some other things. but. As a family, it just really, it really hit us really hard. Then going through that process saying, okay, well, this is what it is and this is what we have to do. Um, you know, getting with the doctors and taking a plan of action and, um, Yeah, so we started, I started a chemotherapy there for five months. I had a pretty uh, rough dose of chemotherapy um, regimen that I was going through. And so we were anxious to kind of hear the news about the results of the chemotherapy, but um, when the doctor sat down with us after five months and went through the results and he told us that I've really not had a response to the chemotherapy, um, it was kind of a bummer at first, but then we're, we're just like, okay, then what next? What do you want us to do? That was you. Yeah. That was you. You were so much stronger. I, I crumbled that day. I remember we came back to school that day and I... I crumbled. I was upset. I remember telling our kids 
and um, we were actually in the parking lot here at Indian Rocks and um, Jackson just he's about to be 17 um, he just point-blank he's like mom is he gonna die and I was just like whoa you know and I said well and I you know I don't want to sugarcoat anything because he's gonna be 17, you know, he's 16 years old. There's no like, you know, he knows what cancer can do. Um, and I said, we're gonna pray that he's not. So we sat down with the doctor and he was hoping to get us into a clinical trial as well. It's called CAR T therapy. Um, and so we were excited about that, especially when we got the news that we got into this CAR T therapy. But being over at Moffitt for several months, um, both of us just couldn't help but think about all these people and families that are going through cancer. And we were just thinking, how many of them have the hope? The hope that we have of Jesus Christ. Pastor Jeff says often that we have the answer for death. And when you have the answer to death, the Lord gives you peace that can only be explained through, through the cross. Finishing this CAR-T therapy, we were again sitting in a doctor's office just um, anxious to hear what the results were. And when he came in, he was kind of nonchalant, um, kind of went through the results of the PET scans and all and, you know, pretty much told us that um, there's no trace of lymphoma in your body right now. You've had a complete response uh, to the therapy and then he kind of goes on through appointments and stuff. and. We were like, wait. My head was like. What just happened? Can you, can you go back and repeat what you just said? And so I think he realized that we didn't quite get all the information correctly. And so he went back through it. And by this time he's smiling and he got up and said, hey, give me a hug. And he came over and gave me a hug and he gave my wife a hug. And we couldn't get, wait to get out of there because we had so many people that we wanted to call and contact and just tell them the good news and thank you for praying for us um, this entire journey. Yeah. And so immediately when we got in the car, I got on the phone and you talk about a good time, calling up my friends and, and connection group members and as, uh, as many people I could here at the church that I know and family that were praying for me and being able to just share that good news with them um, was incredible, was incredible. And so I could hardly drive. <laughs> I was so so excited he would he would get it caught in his throat every time he was about to say my cancer is in remission and I, and my eyes would well up I think I wasn't really crying at that point you were crying and I was wanting to scream and shout I had the you know just the the joy just the overwhelming joy and just I remember saying I don't want to lose this this feeling you know of just what God has done and being so grateful and thankful and Wow, <laughs> amazing. And one of the things that we really wanted to do is just be able to say thank you. Thank you to our church family here for, for reaching out to us, uh, to reaching up to God on our behalf um, in prayer. It really is amazing. Um, and it really has um, been instrumental in helping us through um, this time in our life. I know so many of you in here know uh, 
Mark and Jen Buchanan, and it's just, a, it's just such wonderful news to be able to hear that uh, uh, a week ago Thursday. And, uh, but that's a picture of what I was talking about. That's what hope can do for you. You hear what he said in the middle there, as he saw others during these months at Moffat, wondering if they had the hope that they had within them. And I, I love what Mark said to remind us what Pastor Jeff says, when you have the answer to death, and that's the hope that we have, then our problems pale in comparison when we have that answer and we know our destination. And so that's, that's, that's the hope that I pray that each and every one of us in here as believers have. And if you're not a believer here this morning and you're a seeker, you're a skeptic, to just realize that this is true, that we have a hope that is just an amazing, amazing gift. I've heard Pastor Jeff say this. He says, you can live uh, about 40 days without water. You can live about, no, 40 days without food. You can live about three days without water. You can live about eight minutes without air, but you can't live one second without hope. Hope is what we desperately need. It's what the world needs, and they try to find it in so many different places. But uh, again, uh, how do you get it? We know we need it. How do you find that hope that Mark and Jennifer talked about? Well, God has a process. You know, he has a, he has a plan. Pastor Jeff touched on it a few weeks ago when he was preaching in Romans chapter five. He talked about the uh, believer's security of their salvation. And he talked about in verse one, the believer's peace, and in verse two, the believer's standing. Then in verses three to five, he talked about the believer's hope. And I just wanna look at verses three and four this morning. You just dig a little bit deeper because this is God's process, his building blocks to find hope. And it's gonna be very easy to understand, but very hard to sometimes apply. So let me just go ahead and read uh, Romans five, three to four. How do you get hope? Here it is. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. A four-step process. Sufferings, tribulation, patience, endurance, perseverance, proven character, hope. That's the process. So let me just go through it. Step one is get a problem. How many of you are done with step one? <laughs> I'm done with step one. And I wanna say I've been done with step one. But we all have issues in our life, burdens in our life, problems in our life. You know, and sometimes it may not just be us, but it may be a family member that is causing us to lose hope because of a situation that they're in and we love them so much that it becomes our issue also. But step one is get a problem. Scripture tells us that hope begins with a problem. Many would think that problems would steal our hope, but no, God uses them to give us hope. 
And a couple of things about problems. They're inevitable. They're inevitable. You're going to, you're either in a storm right now, in a tribulation, just came out of an issue, or one's around the corner. Aren't you glad you came today? You know? But pro we live in a fallen world, and we're going to have these problems. So they're inevitable. They're unexpected. Sometimes it's just a phone call that can take you down that road. They're varied. Yours are not the same as mine. Mine aren't like yours. Yours aren't like the person that you're sitting next to. And number four, they're used by God to grow us. Now, I'm not saying that problems are good. No, God is good. Problems really aren't good, but God uses them. And that's why Romans 8.28 can come alive for us. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we have to, to find hope, we start with a problem, and we are, we're all there already. So let's look at step two. Practice patience with that problem. Now this is the, this is the process, this is the step we wanna skip, because we want it fixed now. We want the just add water and mixed version to our problem. Uh, but this is a crucial step. Endurance, perseverance is a crucial step, and again, one we want to skip. And we try to skip it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we just want to escape. We try to fix it ourselves temporarily and just escape or change situations or what have you. We want to escape the problem. Sometimes we just live in denial and saying that it doesn't exist or it's not as bad as it we think that it is, or sometimes we escape by, by pointing the finger. We blame it on someone else, or we play the print comparison game. Well, my problem's not as bad as someone else's, so I can, I'll, I'll just deal with it. But we try to escape. But trust is the key component as we develop patience through the process. Trust is the, 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 the key part of this process. Trust is where the battle is won or lost, that waiting, the patience. We have to trust in the truth. Trust is always built upon the truth. And where do you find the truth? Paul nails it in Romans 15, 4. He says this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. You need to know your word. You need to be in scripture because it's filled with God's promises for his children. You know, as you're, as you're in this process of waiting, you need to trust. You need to trust in the truth. But it's so easy to trust in a lie because there's so many short-term benefits to trusting in a lie. If you just throw money at it or if you uh, just try harder your abilities or maybe your job or your relationships, but you're not going to find hope in these lies. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You will find hope only in the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
in the life. See, your circumstances are not the truth. That's not the truth. I love what Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God. Circumstances are not the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth, and until he works in your life, you don't know what the truth is. You know, for, for Mark and Jen, the circumstances were cancer, and that it, chemotherapy didn't help. But that wasn't the truth. God hadn't spoken yet. He hadn't delivered on his promise. Jesus Christ is the truth. Your circumstances aren't the truth. So the step of perseverance is necessary in that process of growth that leads us to the next step, and that is to develop character. God changes us. He develops us. When problems come, the question should not be, God, what are you doing to me? The question should be, God, what are you doing in me? Because see, Jesus, God, is more concerned with your character being Christ-like than he is your comfort. He wants to change us. He wants us to be different than the world. And so he uses these problems in our lives to change us, to build our character. Character emerges out of the fire. And you can't take a shortcut to hope. I heard someone say just recently, breakthrough does not happen in the drive-through. You know, and we want it to happen in the drive-through. But God doesn't promise to deliver you out of whatever it is. You know, God didn't promise to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. He was with them in the fiery furnace. He didn't remove Daniel from the lion's den. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. Psalms 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, and you comfort me. And so he wants us to build, he wants to build our character. And when you build hope on the character that God alone can develop in your life, no one can take that hope from you. It becomes the proof, the evidence of your faith. Do you think that you could take away Mark and Jennifer's hope today? Absolutely not. God has, they were, they've always been great people. But God has done a work in their life, and he's even done, he's changed them. You can just see. And, and that's what I love what Jennifer says. I don't want to lose this feeling. God's done a work, and he can do a work in your life. And that's where it brings us to, you know, this last point. It, it, it brings us hope. It gives us hope. So enjoy hope. Because, see, our hope is alive. It's different than what the world's wishful thinking is. Our hope is alive. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a rich passage starts with being born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
You know, that key word to living hope is the word resurrection. Depending upon the translation of your Bible, the word hope is used 71 times in the New Testament. It's used one time before the cross. It's used 70 times after the resurrection. So even I understand that hope and resurrection are connected. You know, and that's what Mark was saying. He has that hope. He has the answer to death because of the cross of Christ. Uh, uh, Think about it. What is forever linked to the resurrection? It's the cross. The darkest hour in the life of Christ, yet God turned that darkest hour into the greatest victory. If you ever want to see Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good, uh, all you have to do is look at Christ and the cross and the resurrection, that uh, God took something that Satan meant to be evil and not good, the cross, and accomplished the greatest good ever from it, the resurrection. Uh, The cross tells us that God not only understands your pain, he transforms your pain. A story was told of a man who came up to a Little League baseball game and he was walking by and he decided to to watch the game. So he sat up in the bleachers and there was a little kid next to him and he said, hey, how's the game going? And the kid said, well, we're behind 18 to nothing, but we haven't gotten up to bat yet. Now that's hope. That's hoping in the future, okay? Uh, But that's what I love about Jeremiah 29, 11. The passage links a future and a hope. There is a hope. There's something being prepared for us, and it's indescribable, and it's heaven. And it's being prepared for us as we speak. There's a passage of scripture I just want to share real quickly. I I kind of put it in at the last minute so they don't have it on the screen, but it's in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, and it says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. You know, for every story of praise that we hear, like Mark went through, there's a lot of stories that don't end up that way. But I know Mark's heart being a connection group leader here and talking to him over the phone. uh, You know, even if the Lord didn't answer their prayers, he knew his destination. And that's where his hope was. And as a matter of fact, what I'm gonna, there's a song out right now by Mercy Me called Even If. And what a powerful, powerful song. And that's the way I'm gonna ask the service to be closed today, to just ask our, our uh, musicians to go ahead and make their way up here as I kind of close out. Because this is a living hope that we have. It sustains us. This life is the gateway to true life. Now, we get a taste of it here. Don't mistake me. You know, Jesus wants us to enjoy. That's what he says. I've come that you may have life, life in all of its fullness. We get a taste of it here. But our real hope is 
knowing where our destination is, and it's heaven. It's heaven. God loves us and gives us a wonderful future and a hope. And again, hope, how do we define it? God is in control. The last passage that I want to read is a passage out of the book of Lamentations. Most people feel that it was Jeremiah writing this shortly after the fall of Jerusalem, seeing it destroyed, people being taken away in captivity, and he writes this, verse 19 of chapter 3. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings in the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. That's despair, seeing his circumstances. But then, but then I call to mine, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says uh, my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I don't know where you're at this morning in this process. I don't know. You may be here this morning and being a seeker. And one, you're here for a purpose. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose for a purpose. And it could be to get this hope in your life. So I'm just going to offer a, a, a time of invitation. If maybe you're in a storm right now and you just need reassurance, you need that hope. No matter where you are in the process, you may just want to come up here and pray. Some people may pray with you. But we're going to have a couple of pastors down here today. And if you're looking for that hope that we're talking about today, you don't have it in your life, I just ask you, during this song, as you listen to these words, come down here and pray, or just come and talk with a pastor who can share how to have this hope within you.